Blog Talk Radio. The following program is brought to you by Firefly Willows L.I.V.E. At Firefly Willows L.I.V.E., we're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us, host a show, or be a guest, or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable changemakers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E, helping you find and shine your inner light. Welcome, everybody. This is Mildred Lynn McDonald, and I am your host for Healing Conversations and our roundtable. So I'd like to welcome Deb Caracella. Hello. And hi, C. Latimer's. Hello. Today's show is all about the animal kingdom. What triggered me was a little quote that I came across. Lots of people talk to animals, but not very many listen, though. And that's the problem. So I'll read it once more. Lots of people talk to animals, not very many listen, though. And that's the problem. From the tale of Pooh. So I'd like to throw out to Hi-C and to Deb, if I said animal communication, what would that mean to you? Well, for me, animal communication is very basic. It's being aware, being conscious, and being in a place of understanding and acceptance. Because very often humans have a very human Centric viewpoint. There's not much else out there that has thought or feeling or emotion. And I personally don't believe that that's true. I believe that every species on this planet has emotion, it has a thought, it has feeling, and it has a way of communicating. And I think we just need to be aware and to be open to that. And so animal communication can be as simple as taking a minute. And just watching, just being aware and opening yourself up to the fact that these aren't robotic or non-thinking organisms. I mean, they're not just little programmed, instinctually behavioral things. They have a reason for what they do. Some of it's instinct, but some of it is just because they want to play or they're hungry or they're whatever. When you were saying that, that they want to play or they're hungry, I thought, just like me, sometimes yeah. I want to play, sometimes I'm hungry. <laughs> how exactly. About, <laughs> how about you, Hi C? What does animal communication mean to you? Well, I think one of the important things there and what you just asked is the word communication. And Deb was kind of saying with humans, they tend to be very human-centric, but they don't recognize that even with animals, communication is two ways. We're going to communicate with another person We think that it's both us having something perhaps to say to them as well as hearing what it is they have to say to us. And I think that that's sometimes what 
we forget as humans is that animal communication means not only training them what to do, telling them what to do, getting them to do what it is that we need from them, but also to willing to listen, to pay attention to what it is that they have to say and what they have to indicate. Just like with another person, how annoying can it be <laughs> when you're talking to somebody and they have lots to say, and they may even ask questions, but they never even stop long enough to hear you answer a question or hear what you have to say. And then the conversation is over, and they've had lots to say, and you're kind of like, well, all right then. <laughs> and to me, that's what animal communication is as well, is the willingness, the openness, and the awareness of they have something to offer and to say as well, and we need to be willing to listen as well as speak to or train in some way. So it's not just a one-way thing. I also think animal communication happens on multiple levels because there's also kind of the the energetic level and the spirit level because if we talk about animal totems or animal spirit guides, there's also communication that can happen in very more ephemeral ways, I guess you could say. And they have a lot to say to us that isn't just about whether they can raise a paw or make a sound, but it's also paying attention even when animals perhaps are communicating to us in other forms and other ways, not just in the physical form, but also when they come to us in a dream or something like that. So I think that's also an important element of animal communication. It sounds like a whole universe of information, as you said, Heisey, on, on many different levels. And the part that really hit me, as I said before when I read the quote, is the part about listening. And I realize that often, very often, the context of my conversation with my little Shih Tzu is one way. It's, it's the human way. And I'm really open now, for whatever reason, to make that a two-way dialogue, which Brings me to the next question. Have either of you had any experience actually communicating with animals? And if you did, what did it look like or what did it feel like? I've had animals of, of all types and sizes and kinds my entire life. I've had a lot of dealings with lots of different species. And I love it. I am so grateful that I've been able to interact with so many different wonderful beautiful little beings. And so obviously I've had the very typical communication where the dog needs to go outside. And so they make their obvious, I need to go outside now, attitudes and actions. And so I go, oh, okay, you need to go outside. And I go and open the door for them. That's very typical. You live with an animal, you learn to understand its cues, and it learns to understand your cues. But I think on a deeper level, I think I've probably also had a more intimate and deeper communication with my animals as well. One of my dogs, as he got a little older, he developed a cancer. And it took a little while, because it wasn't an obvious lump or bump, but it did take a little while to understand that there was something else going on. But I was more aware of him and his needs and wants during that period. What about you, Heisey? Does an experience communicating with an animal come to mind for you? On the one hand, you know, having my dog, being able to just know what she's needing or asking for through the type of 
wine or sound that she makes because she'll come into the bedroom. Usually she sleeps in our bed, but like in the middle of the night, there are times when she'll stand by the bed and just whine in order to wake me up. And if I call her up on the bed, she won't come. But what I learned was when she comes in, I can actually tell whether it's a whine of the steps of move that she uses to get up on the bed, so I need to readjust them. Or she's saying, there's no water in my bowl. You just kind of know. And I think that's the key to communication with animals, especially, is in a sense, you just kind of know what they're communicating to you not always just through something so tangible or physical as an action or a sound. I've found it very interesting to be able to be in another room and know what the sound my dog is making. It's like, oh, there's a dog going by that she likes versus one that she barks at (laughs) because she makes a very distinct sound or she comes in and just looks and makes a very distinct whine and I'm like, oh, I need to get up and go and put water in her bowl or food in her bowl or something. So that's a more kind of everyday kind of communication. And then there have been times when particular animals would come in a a dream or something and would give information or indicate something that was very relevant either to what I was eating at that time or I've actually had it where it was like the next day, something very particular that came from the animal in the dream or the meditation sometimes. So... Those would be more kind of very personal experiences that I've had with communication, both on an everyday level as well as a slightly non-everyday level. Have you thought about the healing power of animals? We often hear that animals have the power to heal us, and I'm sure we have the power to heal animals. Any experience with that? Many, many people have heard that simply petting an animal, petting a cat, petting a dog, it releases a particular chemical in our brains and it drastically reduces stress. Also, they're finding that therapy dogs that they bring into retirement spaces or into hospitals or hospice are extremely beneficial to the patients and to the individuals that get to interact with these animals. And I know that just on a personal level, there's nothing quite as calming and supportive as having one of the dogs or one of the cats just come and sit near you, sit at my feet if it's my big dog, curl up, sit in my lap if it's my small dogs or my cat. And just the simple act of listening to a cat purr, being able to stroke the fur, it's total totally peaceful and altering. If you're exhausted at the end of the day, if you're worked up or keyed up because you've had a busy day or something is stressful in your life, I go look for my dogs and those are my meditation moments. What about you, Heisey? Well, I'm thinking of healing in a a bigger context because I think that, for example, raising our awareness Tightening our consciousness is something that animals are very much a part of in terms of our healing as humans overall in our growth and evolution. And I was thinking, for example, there's a law that was just passed by voters in New Jersey that said that pregnant sows had to not be kept in confinement that was too small for them to be able to move around, stretch their limbs, etc. 
No, I don't think they should be combined at all, but that's a whole other story. The governor has said he's going to veto it when he was talking to farmers in Iowa. And I think that the healing there is that animals bring this awareness of there's spirit and there is consciousness to everything around us. I would say animal, plant, mineral, etc. And they're very much a visceral sense of almost pure spirit, which I think can be very healing for us because it causes us to be able to have an awareness and consciousness and conscientiousness about everything and everyone around us and see them, see everything as worthy of communication and interaction on a level of being a sentient spiritual creature rather than just something that is there for our use but has no other purpose or doesn't have any sort of spirit or soul to them. Hopefully our comments from Deb and from High C and a little tidy little bit for me might help <laughs> might help people look at animals a different way. Go over and pick up your kitten or your dog and look into their eyes and maybe you'll start a new relationship and a new dialogue and a new respect. So I'd like to thank Heisey Latimers and Deb Caracella for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Deb, you're at college right now, right? You're at some college in California. While we're- I, I am. I am at Chabot College. It's a community college. I'm sitting in a hallway, as a matter of fact, between <laughs> classes. Yeah. So, so, so for our listeners, what you were hearing through our time together is the joy of learning, right, Deb? Exactly. In exactly. and out, students in and out. Stay tuned for the rest of the show because we're going to have an animal communicator. Her name is Sue Burnett. She will be a guest on the show today, and we're also featuring the founder of the Nova Scotia Lost Dog Network, Janet Chernin, and she's going to be offering us tips on how to find a lost dog and what to do and what not to do, and she also has an extensive background in terms of understanding animal practices and how we look at animals and how we do a disservice to animals and how we as human beings can improve. Today's show is all about the animal kingdom. Lots of people talk to animals. Not very many listen, though, and that's the problem from the tale of Pooh. So thank you very much, Deb Caracella. Thank you. I appreciate being here today. And thank you, Hi C. Thank you. We'll be back in a few moments with a great show. Well, that's our roundtable for this week. Many thanks to Mildred Lynn McDonald and participants Devin Aracella and Heisey Lutmers. We hope you found this roundtable discussion engaging and thought-provoking. If you would like to join the conversation, visit facebook.com slash fireflywillows and add your comment under this week's roundtable post. Stay tuned. And we're back. This is Mildred Lynn McDonald, and I'm your host for Healing Conversations, live from Sebastopol, California. We hope that you're enjoying the show. Do you know what to do if your dog goes missing? Do you know how to use the power of the Internet to help locate your dog? A few months ago, I experienced this very situation and had the good fortune to connect with the knowledgeable, dedicated, and engaging 
Janet Chernin, founder of the Nova Scotia Lost Dog Network. During our time together today, Janet will share lessons that she's learned while doing dog rescue work. She'll share invaluable tips on how to find a lost dog with a few real stories and a little bit of humor thrown in. And then she'll provide us with an overview of how we can best protect our beloved animals and other animals in our local communities. Are you ready to become an advocate or an activist? Because this conversation with Janet might just be life-changing. Later in the show, we'll head to Florida to chat with an amazing animal communicator. Her name is Sue Burnett and she brings a wealth of knowledge, intuition, practicality, and years of experience in her abilities to clearly communicate with horses, cats, and dogs. Her mission? To improve understanding, awareness, cooperation, and peace between animals and humans worldwide. You'll love Sue, and you'll really benefit from her tips on how to communicate with the animals in your life. It's very beautiful work. So, without further ado, let us beam over to Nova Scotia and welcome Janet Chernin, founder of the Nova Scotia Lost Dog Network, to the show. Janet, are you there? Yes, I am, Mildred, and thank you so much for having me on. It's my pleasure. And have you enjoyed have you enjoyed the show so far? Yes, I have. I found it very engaging and quite fun. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> well, Janet, I'm really happy you're here. I had a very strong feeling that December was the month where the voices of the animals needed to be heard. And when I when I talked to you earlier as we prepared for the show, I was so thrilled because not only do you have a wonderful sense of humor, lots of practical experience, a real heart for dog rescue, but you also have a fabulous handle on policy, policy and legislation. So after we spoke the last time, I thought to myself, wow, amazing person. Well, that's so very kind like of to, you, Mildred. Back at you. And it's... <laughs> And it's very true. So, Janet, I wanted to dive right in here. The, the Nova Scotia Lost Dog Network, it's a group of volunteers. You use the Internet and you share resources to help bring missing dogs home. I'd love for you to share with our listeners how it all got started because I know there's a really good story there. Well, actually, it started um, Christmas Eve of 2010, uh, through uh, networking, we heard about uh, a Bernese Mountain Dog that went missing by the name of Annie. And the friends of Annie reached out to on, on local online dog community pages to ask for help. Through the Internet, the number of people looking for Annie was terrific. And people were helping with resources and trying to find her. And we found that Facebook was really the fastest way to get information out of sightings of Annie and who was going where to search. Annie was lost in a rural area and really quite wooded. But she was found 13 days later. And she lived through, uh, you know, lived through all that. She got home safe, sound, and most importantly, she was safe. She was home where she belonged. And everybody who participated with that networking for that one case realized 
that we needed to, a way to work together to broaden the search. And from this, Nova Scotia Lost Dog Network was born. We learned a lot during the search for Annie and even from our mistakes. So Ann Morrison, Heather Morrison, and I hit the ground running with the concept of a central resource to assist all dog owners in Nova Scotia, in every community, in every municipality. And we still continue to work to fill that void. And we can help to reunite a lost or found dog by our members, our volunteers who care to share to help bringing missing dogs home. Most importantly, we're changing the mindset of the public that a roaming dog, a lost dog, is usually not a stray. It's someone's companion who needs our help. I love that. So most people, what you found is most people feel when they see a dog roaming that it's a stray dog. And isn't it a shame that a stray dog would be looked at as less than a companion dog? Well, the thing is anyway, I mean, these are domesticated animals. Uh, Mm -hmm. A stray dog may, I mean, it's very rare to have feral packs of dogs in North America. There are some little pockets, I believe, in different areas in the United States that are having an issue. Uh, However, that said, it is quite remote. So those are domesticated animals that, for whatever reason, are out, lost, and roaming. And so by us assisting and getting the dogs back to their homes, we're freeing up space for animals that need space in a shelter to be adopted. Mm, love that. Now, I'm here, I'm sitting down, and I've gone through this experience, and I have to share that if the Nova Scotia Lost Dog Network didn't exist, the experience of me losing my own dog would have been, I don't know how it would have turned out. So what I'd love for you to do is to walk me and walk our listeners through a real-life case scenario, and let's start at my dog is lost, what do I do? Well, you know, over the years since we've been uh, online uh, since uh, early January 2011, uh, word has gotten out that we do exist. Um, so people normally contact us by directly acce- uh, accessing our submission form via our web page. They can also reach out to us by email, or they can PM us or private message us on Facebook page. And once we know the area that a dog is missing, we will direct the owner or the finder to read over the county contact list on our website. And we always advise owners or finders of a lost dog to first contact their local animal control services. This is very key. A lot of people are a little reticent to call, but they really should because if animal control picks up the dog and they don't hear, in most municipalities in Canada, and I would think in most states in the United States, a dog is only held for a specific amount of time before it is put up for adoption, or unfortunately, uh, in the United States, um, many of the shelters are just overrun and many dogs are put on a euthanization list if they're not adopted. So um, we think that through our research, we've been able to set up a really functional website to help show people on how to find a lost dog. And by you know, communicating with the people that contact us, we're able to give them that information. Um, now, for example, in the United States, you have the Missing Pet Partnership, what, which was contra- uh, created by a pet detective. 
and uh, she formed uh, this group and uh, is uh, willingly allowing all other groups to use her uh, effective lost dog poster uh, tool. So that is a way that people can immediately communicate in their area on, uh, instead of foot traffic that they're putting out these posters in visible areas so that people know that a dog is missing. We do give all that information to our lost dog owners. And we ask them to read also through their county contact list. Read also on how to look for a lost dog. And also to utilize other uh, social media platform groups, um, like putting an ad on, in Canada we have Kijiji, or putting an ad on Craigslist and reaching out to local radio stations and other local Facebook pages. Many shelters have their own Facebook page. Many rescue groups have Facebook pages. It's knowing who to access and how to access that help that you need in your own personal community. When I interacted with you, Janice, and your organization, the thing that hit me was how professional and timely you were. And through that professionalism and timeliness, it gave me a sense of security, which takes me into the next area that I'd love to get your thoughts on. Because I've been there myself, how do people usually feel when they discover their dog is lost? I know there are uh, certain things that scared me. Maybe you could share some thoughts. Well, I think it's visceral. I think it's just like if you were, you know, in a in a store and your child went missing in the store, most people panic. And that's a natural reaction to stress. And some people actually shut down, feeling that there is no hope, that their dog is once missing, they'll never find their dog again, or that their dog will be injured. Many people feel guilty that an accident happened. And we always say, certainly, uh, you know, a preliminary search is needed. But once that's done, it's time to make a plan. It's time to recruit some help and time to prepare for a search. We also find that the most common mistake that people make, Mildred, is that they rush out and they start yelling. When a dog hears a yell, that is fear. Our voices are not sing-song when we're yelling. It's anxiety. And so the dogs are going to react to our fear. And that dogs can become disoriented when out of their normal comfort zone very quickly. And they go into what's called flight-fright mode. And say if an owner sees their dog 500 meters or yards away from them, as you would say in the United States, but a significant distance from them or whatever, and they yell to their dog, They're shocked. They're absolutely shocked and also hurt when they're yelling for the dog and they see it that the dog looks directly at them and then will bolt and run away. This is a normal reaction for a dog that's in fright-flight mode. So we also advise people, if they do see their dog, to go low and slow. If need be, sit on the ground. Avert your gaze. When we stare directly in dogs' eyes, most of the time, and especially dogs in flight-fright mode, they, they view that as somehow of a challenge, that we're challenging them, and uh, they don't like that. So it's best to avert your gaze and wait for the dog 
to come into you, to be a calm person. Even though you're dying inside and want to scream and yell, it's best not to do that. You have to think about making the dog comfortable so they feel safe to come back in. Hmm. Now, I would say in my situation, I was, I did exactly what you told, what you suggested not to do. I was out there yelling like a banshee with my heart on my sleeve, and I'm surprised I didn't collapse and fall over with with panic and concern. So what you're suggesting is the better route would have been for me to gather myself, be present, be calm, and use a welcoming voice. Yes, we say like a sing-song voice or use terminology. Come on, boy, time for a treat. Come get a cookie. Supper time. You know, things like that instead of, you know, Benji, 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 because all the dog is hearing is our anxiety. You know, we had a story about uh, a black lab that went missing down at a a fishing camp, and uh, the dog was also used to the sounds of gunshots, but somebody in the evening put off fireworks, which is a very different sort of sound for dogs, and most dogs will bolt. They do not like fireworks. So the owners contacted us, and we put the dog up, and we were giving them information, and they were yelling, yelling, yelling for the dog, and we told them not to. And the next morning, they're standing in front of the neighbor's shed, and they're yelling, and they're talking about the dog and and everything else. Later on, the dog, in the day, the dog came out of the shed after it had a, a sleep. It went to what we call going to ground. It wasn't going to come. With its name being yelled, it wasn't going to come out of that safe spot. We had another black lab that actually got out of the door, and the neighbor had their van door open. I believe they were taking in groceries, and had finished doing that, and somehow the dog got in the van. They didn't see the dog. They shut the door. The dog spent the whole night sleeping in their van until they went into the car the next day. And lo and behold, there is their neighbor's dog. Even though their neighbor was out yelling for their dog, the dog didn't get up from sleeping in the van. Mm, Okay, okay. So let's look at it from the dog's perspective, I guess. Yes, you have to look at dogs will, what we say, go to ground if they're frightened. In that case of the lab and uh, the van, I just think it might have been a lazy lab that enjoyed the comfort of that van. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and wanted you know, a new new experience. So we always tell people to think outside the box. Look in places that you wouldn't think your dog would be in. We've had dogs that run and hide behind the oil tank, which is a very small space, say, next to the house. And they will hunker down in between the house and the oil tank, even large dogs can get in smaller spaces than what we think they can. Hmm. So we have to think sort of like a dog, a dog that's frightened. And we also found with research and with, you know, talking to other professional pet detectives that most dogs will actually travel at dawn and dusk. And they will hunker down in a safe spot the rest of the time. So for the public to know the best times is early in the morning and around dusk to search for your dog in a gentle manner. If you look in one area and you haven't found your dog, increase the area. 
go in a 360-degree radius and just keep searching out and further out yet again. Again, keep postering. Posters are our best friends for getting people on the street to know that a dog is missing. It's very helpful. Facebook is great. Social media is great. But having actual pictures out there in the public really assists. Now, we talked about the mistakes that people make. One thing that's coming up for me is when my dog went missing, I contacted you, I contacted the local authorities in Dogland, so to speak, and then I lost heart. So it does take you a little bit of gumption to get yourself up to a place to continue the search. Absolutely it does. And that's why we say to people, please don't give up hope. You look at Annie, that was in the wintertime. Here in Nova Scotia, we had a lot of snow. It was cold. And even though a Bernese Mountain Dog has a significant coat on them, you know, 13 days out in that type of weather, that's not a breed that's technically used to those type of inclement conditions. So we say to people, don't give up hope. We've had dogs coming back after significant amounts of time. We had a tiny little um, little Yorkie Terrier named Jake that went missing, and uh, he was gone for, uh, I think it was almost three weeks, but he, and he was out in a wilderness sort of area. He did survive, and he was reunited with his owners. So we try to give hope. And we continue to keep up on our Facebook page uh, listings and the happy endings because we want other owners to read that there is hope, that there are happy endings. And happy endings are significant. We have more happy endings than the ones that aren't so happy or, you know, where a dog has unfortunately deceased. Uh, So really it's 80% of the dogs that we post are reunited with their families. Mm. Okay, so now we're talking 80%. I want to give our listeners just an idea of of the scope of the Nova Scotia Lost Dog Network in terms of serving the province of Nova Scotia in Canada. So so in about so you're saying about 80% of the dogs are delivered safely home by the program. Mm-hmm. Yes, we've so had uh, in just uh, just short of four years, we're coming up on our anniversary, we have helped um, reunite approximately 2,200 dogs with their owners. So wow. that is a significant amount of dogs that have gone back home for people that have reached out to us. And it really is through our membership that Care to Share we have 17, currently 17,147 members on our face, Facebook page. That is huge in our area. It is larger than uh, you know, most of the SPCA pages or local dog groups and even most radio stations. Um, the amount of shares that goes on to a dog's post also can really relate to how long the dog is missing for. But on average, we say that with the share, every share exponentially grows. When you put it up on your wall, another friend is going to see it, and they're going to put it up on their wall, and it grows and grows and grows. From those shares, we can have a dog having 500 to 800 shares in one day, but that also translates that that can be 20,000 to we've even had dogs where over 80,000 views. 
so this is really good so that we are able to get the word out there quickly, hit the ground running, and the, and the specific areas are contacted, and those people know what to do. I have to share that even though I'm in California, I often go back to the Nova Scotia Lost Dog Network Facebook page because I really like to see the number of shares and the happy endings. So you're building, in some sense, a sustainable community of people who have touched or have been touched by your group. Yes, and it's it's a collaborative effort. As again, our, our motto is bringing missing dogs home. But it's all about, as we say, the care to share. Or what we also say, a dog is just one click away from home. Taking that one second to share it on your own wall is also giving validation to the owner who is on that group then. Um, you know, m- our members are being positive. They're being active. And the owner or the finder of a dog is getting support from that community, getting support, knowing that people are caring. And that's a huge issue, as you say, when you panic. You want to know that somebody has your back, really cares, and, and understands. Accidents happen to the best of us. Yeah, and it's very, the other thing I noticed about the site is it's very non-judgmental. It's always positive yet firm and professional. It's always very focused. I, I really like the work there. Now, I want to move into that area a little bit more because I'd like to ask you, why do you feel the Nova Scotia Lost Dog Network has been so successful? Because there's... I know that you're a very smart person. You're very involved. You're very heart-centered. I know you've thought about this. Well, I believe essentially and inherently people in general want to help. We Mm. feel good when we are trying to assist. You know, yes, we all have our negative Nelly days and days that we might be grinchy. But really, what gives us most pleasure I think when we're helping, whether it's helping a lost animal or helping members in our community, it, it builds us up. And people on our site want to have that ability to share and that ability to give to their community and help. Uh, so really, I think that's the biggest thing that we have found, that people really do care, and they care about the animals that are missing especially in specific, you know, times of the year here in Canada and in the U.S., of course. I mean, uh, Canada isn't the only place that has snow, of course. Um, You know, uh, mind you, I mean, some people might think we only have snow here, but, you know, the times of year that uh, it's really important to get dogs in and found is the hotter months and the colder months when there isn't a, a nice temperate conditions for them to be outside and not be affected by the climate. So we find sometimes, uh, you know, more people are sharing, say, if it's a really cold day or it's an extremely hot day, and they they know that, you know, the likelihood of the dog, um, you know, uh, sustaining some discomfort is higher. So people mm, want to share. Sense. But I think it's the goodness of our hearts that people just want to help. 
And we also nowadays, I think, that our companion animals are our family. They're not just the dog. They are members of our family. So when a member of our family goes missing, we are going to look for them as hard as we would look for another member of the family. Our companions give us so much. And in return, you know, I think what happens is, and in your case, in my case, I mean, when one of my dogs went missing, I panicked. I mean, I was beside myself. And even though I knew what to do, my heart was palpitating. And all I wanted was people to help me, and all I wanted was to find my dog and have him back home. So people do care, Mildred, and that's the point. And this site is showing that. Now, you mentioned about being positive. Yes, um, you know, sometimes people don't, aren't always incredible, uh, you know, totally positive on our site mm-hmm. or somebody will make a quick judgment call. Um, but it's an education and we do remove, you know, negative posts when they come in, which is very few because most people now know accidents happen and they happen to the best owners. So we are not there to judge. We are there first. Our primary goal is to get the dog back to safety, whether that means a found dog gets back to their owner or a lost dog is found and goes back to the owner. That's our primary goal. Mm -hmm. And that comes through loud and clear. And it gives you a great sense, as I said earlier, a great sense of security, just the way that everything's handled on your site. Now, do you feel that the Nova Scotia model that's been so successful could possibly be applied to other geographic areas? Very easily. I mean, mm-hmm. it took time, but whether, say, you're in Southern California or you have a certain uh, radius and you're in a specific county and you don't have a lost dog site, Well, contact your municipality. Find out the numbers that people should call when a dog is lost. Find out all the vets in your area. Find out of all the stores in your area that have, say, a Facebook page that deals, say, with dog issues, you know, a, a grooming salon, a pet store. Find out local resources and then reach out to them and say, listen, we're going to start this up. So when there is a lost dog or you hear one, let us know and we're going to get it up and we're going to post it. And we're going to let everybody know. And we're going to help people. We're going to direct them. We're going to assist. And, you know, I know you wanted to talk about how we can facilitate change. Well, Mm -hmm. that's one way to facilitate change. Do it. Make up your own site. Go to other sites. Uh, ask another site like ours, you know, oh, could we use this? Our information that we have on our site, we, uh, some of it we did receive from other groups. So it's all about sharing. Another group is not going to mind you sharing on, you know, a, a template on how to look for a lost dog. It doesn't matter the location. We're all doing the same, quote, work, even though it's all volunteer. That's why we're there. So I would suggest of any of your listeners to mm-hmm. get proactive. Do find out what is available and what isn't available in their community. Find out where there is a need. 
Um, you know, read your town, city's animal control bylaws. If you read something that you don't quite like, ask them about it. See if you can make a change. Read your provincial or state laws concerning animal protection. Find out what agencies are charged legally with the enforcement of bylaws and standards. And, you know, as I say, if you have issues that concern you, take the time to contact your local civic counselor, your state provincial representative, write and lobby for change. Become active in your local shelters or SBCs or humane societies. And if you don't have any local resource groups, form a group with like-minded friends to offer aid. You know, maybe your animal control shelter doesn't have all the needs met that they need to service the animals in their care. Many municipalities are cutting corners now. Times are tough. Uh, shelters and SBCAs are, try to provide best care, but they don't always have the funds to do so. So go to them and ask, what do you need? What do you need? How can we help? Lobby pet stores, pet food manufacturers to donate. There's so many things that you can do to assist animals in your community. There's very simple things. What? Oh, maybe you know of an elderly person who can't take their dog out anymore for a walk. Reach out to a neighbor and say, hey, I'll do that for you. There's just so many things that we can do as a community to assist animals in need. It's just taking that one little step. I like that. The one little step, and also I'll tell you a little thing that I found always helps me, is I position anything like that as a pilot project for myself. So you're taking the little step, but you're not putting pressure on yourself. Every pilot project I've ever started, I've continued. So it's kind of it's kind of funny that way. But I find that a lot of people, or many people that I come across, they're hesitant to take that first step. And they're hesitant and they draw it out to the degree that they don't have enough time in their lives. But, it's, but I love talking to you because it's just do something. Do anything. Start by looking around you. Everything yes. helps. I love Everything. that attitude. Everything helps. Everything, every little bit helps. And, uh, you know, I mean, if you can't do it every day, if you can't do it every week, do it once a month. Give Mm -hmm. of your time. Give of yourself. Mm -hmm. Go to your local shelter and offer to walk a dog and to assist. One day a week isn't a lot to ask, or one day a month. Start out small, baby steps. The more you get comfortable, the more you understand the environment that you're working with and your own community, the more you're going to have your own thoughts and want to give input. And maybe you can have a, a, a way and an ability to make significant change within your community. Well, Janet, I'm going to give you the shawl right now, and I'm going to get in my car, and I'm going to go and do my first step. <laughs> Is that okay with you? Good, good, good. I am motivated. I am motivated to go. Maybe too much. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and and you know, we just say it's just that one little minute, and that's what Nova Scotia Lost Dog Network is all about. Those one little minutes that people take to just click a button 
and share. That makes a huge difference in getting those dogs home. You can make a difference by being more, say, hands-on proactive within your own rescue communities. There are so many uh, registered rescues in North America on the whole that are driven by totally by volunteers, by fundraising. Um, maybe you have a skill. Maybe you paint. Maybe you make crafts. Donate. Ask a, a local rescue, are they planning to have an auction anytime soon? Give. We all want to declutter. We have so much stuff. Look in your home. See what you can give up. You know, we are run by volunteers, and we do not get paid. Anna and I do not get a salary from running Nova Scotia Lost Dog Network. And, you know, we're very pleased and, and grateful when people donate to us so that we hold that money and then, you know, we go to a, a dog expo. Most dog expos or, or functions like that charge a booth or table fee. So we're then able to, uh, you know, pay the fee and, and uh, talk and dialogue to the public directly about what we're doing. So it's like all that. about just those small little things that you can do to make a difference. Now, you've made a lot of suggestions. I, in fact, I cannot see anybody who would not have been touched by one of your suggestions. So I'd like to remind our listeners that although we're live right now, after the show, all these suggestions are available for the listening in the Blog Talk Radio archives because, Janet, you are sharing so much actionable information. I know people are going to want to go back and revisit it. And we're going to take a little break. We're going to listen to Dolores Boudreaux from Nova Scotia. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dolores's music. Are you Janish? I'm, I'm not, and I love to be educated, and I love music, well, so bonus. <laughs> You're in for a treat. And then when Thank we come you. back, I want to talk to you a little bit about who your role models are and your sources of inspiration. So let's take a two-minute break. I am going to do something for dogs. I think I'm going to hug my dog while we're taking a break, and we will be right back. <laughs> Thanks, Mildred.
You're listening to Healing Conversations with host Mildred Lynn McDonald on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at fireflywillows.com. Enjoy the show. Janet, we're back again. Hi, Mildred. That was lovely. Isn't that beautiful? I love Dolores Boudreaux. She is from Cape Breton Island, and I find her music very uplifting. She's quite the gal. Back to you, though. Who are your role models and your sources of inspiration because you are so passionate in this area? Well, as a young child and now not so young, uh, my number one hero on the planet is Jane Goodall. Um, mm-hmm. So really reading her books and uh, you know going to her different sites as she you know expanded into uh, social media too, uh, she is an absolute inspiration to me. In the United States, you have many phenomenal organizations like the Best Friends Animal Society that has actually the largest animal sanctuary in North America. It's in Kanab, Utah, and I was lucky enough to go to a No More Homeless Pets convention in Las Vegas and then visit uh, the Best Friends Animal Society. They are amazing. I just love them. I love Bad Rap. That is based out of San Francisco. Tia Torres of the Villa Los Bos Rescue Center in, in Louisiana, and Pilots and Paws in the USA and Canada. You know, I love positive reinforcement trainers. Um, you know, there's, as I said, there's so many rescues in our province that have been started by caring individuals, and all are trying to make a difference. That's what inspires me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, the another thing about a key on doing something is a lot of rescues don't have a shelter building. And I meant to point that out earlier, Mildred. So many Mm -hmm. rescues are reliant on foster homes, families that are willing to take in a dog, hold on to that dog, and get the dog, say, used to being in a family situation again. And, and, you know, they have a safe place to be until their forever home, their adoptive home, is found. So many, many rescues are reliant on foster homes. So if you're able to do that, to open your heart and home to a foster dog, yes, you may start getting close to the dog, but really, the minute you let that foster dog go to its forever home, you can open your heart and your home to another dog, and then it gets another home, and so on and so on. Just Janet, what the foster the foster option is there a pressing need for foster homes or a little need can you give us some perspective there's a huge need in north america for foster homes huge Mm -hmm. need uh there's i can't even I, i wouldn't even be able to count how many rescues are reliant on foster homes to take in animals whether it be a cat or a dog and yes even bunnies um and even farm animals so, and horses. So really, um, there are many places that, uh, that are reliant on people that are willing to provide a temporary spot for an animal and to wait for its adoptive family. And that's a huge, significant, powerful thing that a family can do. It's a great learning lesson for children, I think, too. You know, if the dog is suitable or cat suitable for a child-friendly, you know, if it's child-friendly to be in that type of situation, it's a huge lesson for children to know that you can provide a safe 
spot for an animal in need until it finds a loving adoptive home. I really like what you're saying. I've been reading articles on children who have environmental environment deficit problems. And you know, to put it simply, they're not out in nature enough, so they're not understanding nature or relating to nature. And then through reading about that, I started reading about developing compassion in children. And it's been identified that exposing children to, to animals at different stages and at different stages of the animal's life creates that magical, compassionate connection. And that really feeds into what you just shared. Yes, it's a, it's a big thing. And, I mean, you can end up being like me. Um, I'm a foster failure times four, um, <laughs> you know. So, um, But that doesn't happen to everybody. And I really love my four dogs. But, um, you know, it, it just happened that those four ended up staying with me. But generally speaking, you know, all the rescues do need families that are willing or single people, whatever, uh, that are willing uh, to look after an animal in need. I like that. I like that. Now, I wanted to ask you this on a personal level. If you would share, how does the how does creating and facilitating and nurturing the Nova Scotia Lost Dog Network, how does that make you a better human being? And what life lessons have you learned? I think the biggest life lesson and you know, one that I probably knew, but one that's, you know, there every day is that we're all human and uh, mistakes happened and a lost dog is an accident. It's not intention. People aren't intending to lose their dogs. An accident happens, um, you know, so um, we're all, we're all fallible and we all need to be connected and we all need to assist each other. So by doing what I do with in partnership with Ann Morrison, it really I think fills our heart a lot. And then we can see uh, all our volunteers on our pages and those people that are even willing to go out and 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 foot search and 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 look for a lost dog. I think it gives everybody uh, a sense of heart and a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's a lesson. I think we humans all wanted to feel we all want to feel needed. We all want to make a change and make a difference in somebody's life. And by running this site, we are able to do that. Um, you know, it also makes you um get rid of some of the misconceptions you might have on you know, uh, about uh, a person's character. I think many a time we probably would have walked by and, uh, you know, me bad too, you know, that Mm -hmm. say somebody is a a person who lives on the street and they have a dog. Um, I've learned through many different agencies those dogs are fed first before they eat. Those are their family. Those are their companions. So you learn not to judge, I think, and that that has made me a better person, I think. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, I think one of the positives uh, with Nova Scotia Lost Dog Network and, you know, one of the hopes and, and, and that is coming to fruition 
at least in our province, is that many of the animal control departments are now reaching out to us to assist them. And, uh, you know, and a dog that makes it back to their family is one less dog in that system. So it's a win-win for all. It's a win for the lost and found dogs. And the more people that know about a lost and found dog, the more likely that dog is going to be reunited with their family. So it, it's wonderful that, um, you know, it, things are changing. Just like the notion of a stray dog, things are changing about how we treat each other and how we view a dog that's been picked up as a roaming dog. That's somebody's companion. That dog belongs to a family. If in the case that it is, quote, not wanted, and that is very, very rare, then it's the rescues, it's the shelters, it's the SPCAs who step up to the plate. So it's all about community. You know, as you say that, my dog, I have a rescue dog, it's a little Shih Tzu, and I have a he has a little collar on, and then he has a little identification tag on it. And, I, and of course, he has a chip. What I wrote on the identification, oh, if I could only talk today, what I wrote <laughs> on his little tag, <laughs> his little tag is, I am loved. And the reason I wrote that is because if he ever becomes lost, and it's speaking to your point, shifting attitudes, it's very clear that he belongs somewhere, he's not astray, and that he is loved. Right. So thank you for saying that, yeah. Now I understand where that came from when I was inspired to write it. Yes, and, uh, you know, yeah. of course, I mean, you know, I mean, we always say to people that, you know, there's ways to ensure and that all dogs should have uh, a tag and a tag and or a chip if possible, both. Um, so, you know, there are, as you, you know, uh, that we discussed prior to the show, there are tips on how to keep your dogs safe or what you should and shouldn't do. And um, one of the first things that we suggest to people is always have on hand an up-to-date picture of your dog. Always make sure your dog is wearing a civic tag registered to your municipality or county if required by law. Have another tag with the dog's name and current cell phone number on it. Microchip your dog. And, but importantly, make sure that your info is kept up to date. Many people move and forget to update the information on the chip. Um, we say use a martingale collar. It's a, it's a type of collar that, uh, it's, if adjusted correctly, it's harder for a dog to slip out of. Um, we tell people correct methods to holding a leash is the thumb method. Um, train your dog to have a good recall. Now, where you're located, you don't have some of the problems that we have, um, or in Colorado or any places with snow, <laughs> but when you're out walking your dog, wear proper shoes. You could slip on the ice and bang down, and the minute you bang down, your dog is going to pull that leash and bolt because you've scared your dog and they're going to run away. So there's just little tips on, on, on how to keep your animals safe. And we want people to understand in the United States and Canada, with inclement weather like, you know, snow, 
Um, you know, you may have a fenced yard, but do check the yard after a snowstorm. Has the has snow drifted up to the fence line so that your dog could actually climb the snowbank and escape out of the fence? If you have a wind or rainstorm or a thunderstorm, before you put your dog outside, take a minute. Go out first and do a perimeter check. Make sure that the gate has not been blown open that the fencing isn't compromised. And another tip for around Christmas, everybody seems to love fireworks. Check in your municipality if fireworks are going to be set off. Ask your neighbors if they're planning to set off fireworks. Keep your dogs inside and contained. And then you're sure that you're going to all have a happy holiday, as I call it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> We have to keep our dogs safe. I mean, we're all going back and forth and having a little wee nip of eggnog and going in and out. So if you know you're having guests coming over, why don't you put Spot down in the basement or put Spot in a safe, contained room, let them listen to nice, some nice classical music, give them a couple of nice toys to play with, and keep them away from the doors. Mm, I love these tips. And as I had shared with our listeners before, After the show goes live, it does go into the blog, talk, radio, archives. These tips are what really matter. These tips are what are precious, what what Janet is sharing here today. Now, Janet, what is coming up? You are a going concern, so I know that the Nova Scotia Lost Dog Network is a going concern. I want to hear what's coming up next year. Well, um, currently, well, well, she just finished it, and, and successfully, uh, the co-founder, Namin Ann Morrison, took the MAR program, which is the Missing Animal Response uh, Program, okay. via the Missing Pet Partnership and a woman named Kate Albrecht. And this is a United States-based uh, organization, the Missing Pet Partnership. And it's the highest training available for people who want to become, quote, a pet detective or a lost pet consultant. And they do have a very active uh, lost pet phone line, which is live. And Anne helps out people in the United States who are missing their pets, and all types of pets, whether it be a cat, a dog, an iguana, a parrot. So um, I'm going to roll in that program, too, so I can become as smart as Anne. Ah, I like that. So you know what that means. That means that after you finish your program, how long does the program take? Well, I'm not sure. I, I didn't check in with Anne on that, but I'm sure I'll okay. find out once I enroll. But uh, I okay. will be going online in the new year to take their course and to become active. Um, Anne and I both work very hard to keep Nova Scotia uh, Lost Dog Network up and running and uh, you know try to be there as quickly as possible to respond. Um, unfortunately, uh, we do need sleep every once in a while. And sometimes that's a bit of a stressor for both of us that we're always Mm -hmm. feeling a little bit of guilt that, oh, no, we're not on. But we keep reminding people, go to our website. If we can't answer you personally immediately, go to our website. It's all there for you to read. Your county contact list, find it. Uh, You can read through that. You can do things without us by just accessing our web page. 
Hmm. And what I was going to ask you is, I'm envisioning you both take the course and then you come back on the show, you and Anne, as I would detectives. I like to do that. As detectives, Janish. <laughs> <laughs> now imagine how much fun I we would I fear I don't look like my favorite detective, Angie Dickinson, though. Darn. <laughs> Now, what we're going to do, we're going to have a little tiny short break and uh, for about a minute. We're going to listen to a beautiful song by Rita and Mary Rankin from Nova Scotia. It's called Both Sides of the Tweed. But when we come back, I'd love for you to share the website, the Facebook page, and if anything comes up for you that you'd like to share in closing with our, our listeners. How does that sound? Sounds great. Thanks very much. Okay. listening to Healing Conversations with host Mildred Lynn McDonald on Firefly Willows LIVE. Find out more at fireflywillows.com. Enjoy the show. Janet, are you there? Yes, I am. <laughs> Very good. Now, if you could share the website for the Nova Scotia Lost Dog Network, your Facebook page and any other thoughts that you would like to communicate to our listeners, that would be a beautiful thing. Okay, great. Thank you very much. I uh, just wanted to point out that I was remiss in not pointing out that we also have a Twitter account. So once somebody contacts us through our webpage um, and we get that post up onto the webpage, we get that up on our Facebook page, it is automatically tweeted out to our followers. Uh, currently, we have about 1,000 uh, Twitter followers. And um, we can always do with more of those. So to reach us via Twitter, um, it's um, at NSLostDogNet, N-S-L-O-S-T-D-O-G-N-E-T, and that's our Twitter account. Our website is NS.LostDogNetwork.com. That's ns.lostdognetwork.com. Our Facebook page is, of course, www.facebook.com backslash nsldn. Or you can just put up in that little bar uh, 
Type in Nova Scotia Lost Dog Network, and it'll directly take you to our page. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Janet. This was a lot of fun. Not only educational, not only from the heart, you are a wonderful person, a wonderful spokesperson for animals. The voice well, thank the you very much, phone. Mildred, and uh, I appreciate you having us on. I appreciate that uh, you care about animals, and uh, it's been my pleasure. Love meeting you. And we will have you back as a detective. I'm coming for you. <laughs> have, have a great day. Thank you so Same much. Same to you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Wanted to share with everybody that we are going to be talking with animal communicator Sue Burnett just up next on the show. She's in Florida, and you will love Sue. She is very knowledgeable. She has fabulous intuition. She's very practical. And through my personal experience with her, she provides such a beautiful, sincere, genuine voice for the animals. So we're going to go to a little commercial. Then when we come back, we are going to bring SuperNet, professional animal communicator, to the show. I will be back shortly. Yes, we've added to our lineup of lively, thought-provoking shows. But don't forget our original Sunday morning lineup at 10.30 a.m. Join us for Healing Conversations with Mildred Lynn McDonald every first Sunday. Revolution with Heisey Ludmers every second Sunday. Convergence with John Carousella every third Sunday. And our popular on-air call-in show the fourth Sunday of every month. We're excited. Give us a listen as we continue to create new and entertaining ways for you to shine your inner light. Join us at Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Hello, Sue. Are you there? I'm here, Mildred. How are things in Florida? Oh, they're just lovely. I'm just on a little bit of a holiday, and I'm really enjoying oh. myself. Thanks. Is it nice and sunny? Today it's overcast and it's a little bit cold, but it's still lovely. Yeah. Here in California, where I am in Northern California, it is also overcast. And we've had a bit of rain, which is really good for all of the animals and all the fields. So we look at the sky and when there's rain, that's a good thing. We don't complain. Yeah, it's probably something to celebrate right now, having some exactly. rain. Exactly. So we're so happy that you could be here today. The voice of the animals, it's so important. You do such wonderful, wonderful work. And as I prepared for our time together, I visited your website, which is www.supernet.com. And you share on your website that you're an intuitive animal communicator, a horse whisperer, a pet psychic. (laughs) What does that all mean? It sounds really good. What does it mean? Well, there's a lot of job titles for my job. Um, Those are the ones that people recognize the most. What it actually means is that I use my intuition to talk to animals. And I talk to horses, dogs, cats, parrots, guinea pigs. I spoke to a hedgehog the other day. Um, I use my intuition and I get pictures, sounds, 
um, sentences, movies that give that tell me what the animal is trying to say to their human. And I do that in person, and I also do it on the phone for clients around the world. Hmm. And how does it all start? I'm quite intrigued. I know you do <laughs> this. You do this very well. Was it something that, boom, you're doing this work, or was it a process? Well, it was a little bit of both. I, it's sort of when people ask me that question, I always ask them if they remember learning how to write. And most of us don't. And that's the same with speaking with animals. I don't really remember not being able to do it. But when I started to do it professionally, it was kind of boom because it wasn't something that I went to school to learn. I didn't really know what I was doing, to be honest. And I had moved to Hong Kong to really get an English teaching job. And I was on the beach one day, and a little dog ran by. And he said to me, oh, you can talk to me. And I said, I do, but I'm not telling any humans I can do this. And he said, I'm so itchy, you got to help me. So... He was so itchy that I did have to eventually go up to his human and somehow say, you know, I can talk to your dog. And luckily the man took it quite well. And the little dog, Patches, said, please stop using the green shampoo. And the man said to me, we don't use green shampoo. So that's a lot about animal communication. You don't always know if you got the right info or not. So three weeks later, he came up to me, and he was so excited. He was almost jumping up and down. And he said that their helper took Patches and Sam, his friend, to the beach every day. And they came home the day before, and she was washing them down from the sand. And she was using green liquid detergent for dishes. So there was the green shampoo. And then I became quite famous because of that. And then I became really famous because a schnauzer came to visit me at my house, and he brought two humans with him, and he was having stomach problems. And when I asked his humans, when does he eat, what does he eat, they didn't know anything about it. So when I went to the schnauzer, I said, who are these people? They, seem, they don't seem to know you very well. And he said, be very careful. I just met them in my dad's office, and they borrowed me and brought me to you. So I said to them, I don't understand. He says he's never met you before, and you're not his humans. And (laughs) the two of them, their mouths dropped, and they had a hidden camera in their bag, and they were trying to expose me as a fraud which didn't occur because I had been accurate. So the next thing I knew, I was extremely, extremely famous in a Chinese tabloid magazine. Mm. And that's where it all started. So so it takes courage to walk up to someone on the beach and say X, Y, Z. It takes a lot of courage. How did you manage that? 
I'm not quite sure. I think little patches, you know, sometimes the way that you speak to animals, it's not like you it's not like how we communicate with humans, which is really through verbal language. Uh, a lot of it you can receive in your body as a sensation. And he sent me an itch, how itchy was. And the itch went right from my toes, right up through the top of my head. He was so darn itchy. So at that point, I had to go say something to his human because it, it was just so uncomfortably itchy for the poor little guy. And luckily okay. the guy took it quite well, you know, so I was very fortunate that he was open to the situation. And now, after doing this job professionally for 12 years, a lot more people are doing it and a lot more people are open to it. So, you know, things are great because it's much more acceptable. Yeah, I still see courage written in capital letters, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably from the outside, people say I'm brave and courageous, but, you know, I'm just like any other human, and a lot of times I have to do a lot of deep breathing before I do something. Or, yeah. you know, even on phone calls, I think to myself, this information can't be right. And then weeks mm-hmm. later, people email me back and say, oh, my goodness, you know, that was so accurate. And so trust also. I imagine a lot of deep breathing, courage, and trust. Trusting your job. You know, trust, trusting that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing kind of thing. Yes, and, you know, I do truly believe that we all, I know that everybody I know, they do talk to their dogs. You probably talk to, you know, your dog out loud every day. Oh, I do, I do. And I talk the, I do, yes. Yes, so you're already talking to her and she's understanding ninety eight percent of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And she's talking back but she's usually she's using pictures or sounds, um, to some people call it telepathy, um, to to respond to you. And probably you do pick up some of it but we tend to not really trust that we're doing it. We don't trust our intuition enough. And we've been told over and over again that your intuition is kind of woohoo-ish, it's kind of creepy, it's weird. So we don't tend to trust it that much, but really that's the basis of, of communicating with animals is trusting your intuition and what you receive. Just as we were we were talking earlier, we did a round table, and the quote that we talked about was, "Lots of people talk to animals, not very many listen, though, and that's the problem from the tale of Pooh." So, what you're speaking about is what that quote is speaking about. The information is being transmitted, but we might not be receiving it, or we might be blocking it. I guess. Yes, and. I just had a really funny encounter <clears throat> in the golf park I'm staying at here. The the little dogs have to get in golf carts and go to what they call the poop station. And there's a, a lady there with two dogs. And she was telling me that she didn't, you know, that really they were, 
her, her little dogs, but her favorite dog had died last year, and his name was Teddy. And she said he wasn't a dog. I'm sure he understood what I was saying. She said one day we were out, and Teddy got very muddy. So when they got back to the house, she said to Teddy, we're going to have to give you a bath. So she went and put the dog food down, and the other dogs were eating, and she couldn't find Teddy. So she walked all through the house looking for Teddy, and she finally found him in the bathtub. And so, of course, he understood. She said, we're going to give you a bath, so he went to Mm -hmm. the bathtub. But the lady's reaction to it, she kept saying to me, oh, it was so creepy, it was so creepy that he almost knew what I was saying. It was really creepy. And I believe that's the basis of our... We've been led to believe that animals don't have souls, they can't communicate, and if they do, it's just, like, too weird. Mm, So big re-education opportunity here. Yes, great potential. And all it is is really changing our belief system about animals and it's also just doing it just talking to them the way that I learned to do my job is by doing it and that's why I'm so good because I do it for hours every day Mm, I hear you now when we're looking at the animals in our lives I'm sure that there's common themes that they would like us to know. Can you share from your experience <laughs> what do what do the animals in our lives want us to know? Well, I have a list here because okay. I asked <laughs> I asked my friends the animals, and I went to the cats first. And the cats would really like everyone to please stop using dryer sheets. And if they do, to please use unscented products. And that goes for in the dryer and the washing machine. And to us also be aware of any cleaning fluids that have a, a, you know, big scent to them. Get rid of any Glade plug-ins, any kind of uh, scented products. And the reason for that is that usually their kitty litter is in the laundry room. And the nature of kitty litter is to absorb smells. And every time a dryer sheet goes in the dryer, the kitty litter picks up those layers of smells. And the cats hate it. It makes them swear. And sometimes that's the reason they will stop using their kitty litter. And in some places, dogs are allowed out every day, but a lot of cats are indoor cats. And especially in the wintertime, the windows never open, and so they're really in that scented place all day, and they hate it. (laughs) Okay. I'm amazed. I know when you were kind enough to do a reading for my little dog and also my mother's little dog, it amazed me, and I hadn't really thought about it, how smell-centric animals are. Because a lot has to do with good smells or bad smells. Yes. And any chemically, if you think about it like a scented candle, 
that is chemicals that have made that smell. And so really, so they the really animals don't like them. But they're also doing us a big favor because probably our bodies don't like them either. Probably not, but we have been mm-hmm. brainwashed just through repetition that, you know, it's better if your clothes smell, you know, the names are really lovely too, like Caribbean mm-hmm. Breeze. <laughs> it, yeah. it sounds like a nice thing that we smell like. And, and you know, really those things are, are I believe you're one of the dogs I spoke to with you wanted so it was about a blanket, was it? They didn't want the blanket washed in it anymore? I believe so, yes, yeah, yeah. And, and I would say that would echo, many animals would communicate that, wouldn't they? Yes, all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the dogs want to say, please, please, please give them porcelain or ceramic bowls. Mm. <clears throat> And the reason for that is because plastic, it picks up different flavors, especially if you put it in the dishwasher. And then metal bowls, well, cats want metal bowls to, or they don't want the metal bowls, is because it makes the water go flat very fast. So if you have a cat that drinks from the toilet, it's because the water is actually fresher than in the bowl. Okay. And the horses want all of their owners. Um, it would be Christmas all year for them if they got tail pulls and stretched on a regular basis. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is the tail pull literally pulling the horse's tail? Yes, it is. There's a method that you can do to do it gently for them. But what it is is it's... um such a beautiful, beautiful stretch for them because it stretches them right from the tip of their ears down to the end of their tail, and part of their spine is in their tail. And so that's what they would really like. And the other thing horses really want people to be aware of is to always sit like you're a rider. So your feet flat, your spine nice and straight, like a stack of quings all nicely lined up, and your head like a string coming out of the top of it. Is that so, specifically for the to improve the posture of humans? Yes. They say that a okay. lot of our, um, not our illnesses, but our, our aches and pains are due to just not sitting properly. Okay, okay. So what I'm amazed at is, what the cats, the dogs, and the horses communicated to us are all very practical and actionable and ubiquitous. They're yes. done by anybody. <laughs> so it's it's not any secret, secret handshake. It's not a sophisticated solution. It's just three basic every, everyday things that we can do. Yes, but those three, um, even though... You know, talking to the animals is really wonderful because what they say is usually very simple. And it's only us who make things very complex. And the horses often look at me and I'll be saying something to them. And one of my friends, Scully, she'll just shake her head and say, it's a drag you humans have that logic. 
it really gets you in trouble because <laughs> we overthink things or we have to know the how, like how, how. And the animals just don't have that. But those three simple things can really change an animal's life. Like getting rid yes. of scented products can really change uh, a cat's health remarkably. And, you know, the and dogs, have- more water really can affect their health too. And on a comical note, you've probably also explained why a cup of tea tastes better in a nice ceramic cup, too. (laughs) Yes. For the human in me. Uh, Yeah, the other thing I wanted to ask you, you said that animals are communicating with us every day. And mm-hmm. we seem to be missing the boat a lot of the time, like we're not paying attention. Can you help us a little bit there? What do we, is it body language? You mentioned telepathy and maybe feelings. I have a dog or I have a cat. I'm looking at my dog or cat. Someone's probably doing this as they're listening to the show. They're looking at their dog or cat. What's going on there that we're missing? Well, I believe what, most people are missing is the trust that they're actually just doing it already. And one of the things to do is to actually pay attention to their body language. It can tell you a lot. Um, Like with horses, people will say to me, um, he was bucking me off. He was just being mean. But usually leading up to before the horse bucked them off, there was things like when they pulled the saddle tight, the horse flinched or the horse moved a certain way. And the horse was trying to tell them, I'm in pain. I'm actually experiencing pain. And by the time a horse bucks people off, it usually is because there's a back issue or there's pain involved. Or there's, um, if it's of course, if it's a new horse, they just aren't trusting enough to do it but with your dog's name is honey bear is that right that's my mom's dog honey bear beautiful little yes and what was your dog's name my dog's name is pops p-o-p-s pops that's right well if you were talking to pops just pretend that he's understanding everything that you're saying And then open yourself to receiving some pictures or open yourself to receiving some sounds from him. Or it could just be that you actually just feel like you know something and you can't explain it. And that's how they're communicating with you. Now, the practice is is that it's like learning a new language where you can't speak fluently or hear someone speak in another language if they're speaking quickly you have to practice using that language and being slow at it at first and just just talk to him for two weeks like he understands everything that you're saying to him Hmm. what's coming to me is it's almost like learning to speak french or learning to speak spanish Yes, it's you have the same. to practice, and maybe it's 
maybe it's one word at a time or a sentence or a phrase at a time, and then you you just try it out. You get the courage up to try it out. Something like that? You try it out and then play some games with yourself, with your intuition. Like when you're driving, just kind of look at the car ahead of you and you go, just let yourself be and then go, well, I think he's going to turn. And then just see if it happens. Or if you're at the grocery store, you might be trying to decide what to buy and you strongly, strongly feel like this one product is the one that you need to buy. And the thing with our intuition is we usually don't really listen to it unless it gives us a warning. And it's like you keep feeling, I've got to turn the car down this road. I really want to turn. I have to turn. I have to turn. And you don't turn, and then there's an accident. And later on, you go, I knew that was going to happen. Oh, that was so scary. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. then you don't really want to listen to your intuition again because it's always a warning. But in daily life, your intuition is of great, great benefit to you. And it's unique to you. It's your own guidance system. So it's always giving you really good information. I like that. In, in my life, I have a little sign when I'm in the right place at the right time with the right people. And my intuitive doing the sign right is thing. doing the right thing. My intuitive sign is, I have two of them actually, my intuitive sign is stargazer lilies appear. And oh, so whenever lovely. I see stargazer lilies, yeah, they're beautiful. When I see them, I know I'm in the right place at the right time with the right people doing the right thing. And the other one is my name is not a popular name. It's Mil, you know, I should know it's Mildred. It means gentle strength. But what I find, my other little sign is often if I am in the right place at the right time doing the right thing, someone will come up to me and say, my aunt used to be named Mildred or my grandmother was named Mildred. <laughs> so to me, there are like two little positive compass readings that I've trained myself, like flexing your muscles or training weightlifting or something like that. And, and I understand that's wonderful. what you're saying. Yeah, but, but, I, but for our listeners, as you're, as you're listening and maybe trying to get your, yourself around these concepts, it's the more you use it, at least this has been my experience, and it sounds like your experience too, so the more you use it, the more it comes in, and the more you're able yeah. to use it. It becomes part yeah. of you. Yes, and it's it's so beneficial to you, like as a person, and I'm speaking to all the listeners, it's using your intuition on a daily basis. It's not only fun, but it's it's just so helpful and useful. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just a wonderful tool that we have to use. And then... You know, as you use it in your daily life, you will find that the the side effect of that is that you start to really be able to hear the animals much clearer. Mm, excellent. Now, when people come to you, I imagine it's just not to have a little chat about their animal. Usually it's driven by a, an issue or a problem or a concern or a situation what are the common ones that people engage you with and request help with? Well, some people do just call to 
um, make sure that their animals are he- are happy. Um, that's a lot with cats and dogs. And then um, sometimes it's a behavioral issue that they just can't figure out, like, why is the cat continuously peeing on our favorite rug? Um, with dogs, it could be, you know, why are they afraid of certain situations? What can we do to help them? And then with the horses, a lot of it is with to do with their health. Um, people want to, before they get the vet in, they want to find out if it's necessary. And although I'm not a vet, oftentimes speaking with me can prevent the, the vet coming. Um, and with the horses, a lot of rider issues or fear issues, like why is the horse doing this? Mm. And with the horses, and then some people want to know their history, like, where was this horse before he came to me? What happened to this horse? And that's ever so beneficial because it, it does help people understand the horse the horse's behavior much better. And and to speak to, on my level, my personal level, to speak about Pops, I remember when we talked together what to prepare, I created a list of questions. And I had been concerned or or curious I thought my dog had a little vision problem and you put it so nicely which is part of the art of working in this field as far as I'm concerned what you shared with me is that my dog was a puppy mill dog basically and had been taken from its mom and put in a cage for a long time and was malnourished and because he was malnourished his little body had to decide which senses would be developed? Would it be smell? Would it be sight? Would it be hearing? And his little self decided that it would be hearing and smell, but the vision part would not be as well developed. And that made so much sense to me because my dog is a great little smeller, and and (laughs) he's great with sounds, but his vision is the pits. So it it was a really good experience in connecting the dots from the past and taking them into the into the present and giving me a whole new level of understanding of where my dog was operating from. So yes. I wanted to thank you for that, but also wondering if you have other examples like that, maybe another situation that a person may have shared with you. Well, there's lots of you know, I had one lady call me, and she had just spent $3,000 at the vets, and her little cat, Molly, was going to be put down the next day, or in, I think it was two days, and um, she wasn't eating, and the vet said, there's nothing we can do, but we don't really know what's wrong with her, and when she called, she was really asking me, you know, I don't feel that this is right. What can I do? What does Molly, how does she feel? And Molly kept saying that there was something really wrong with her food, that there was, um, she was really having trouble digesting her food. So I recommended that she hold off putting her down for a few days and to call um, a wonderful holistic pet food <clears throat> person who could perhaps recommend different food <clears throat> excuse me 
And she did that. And she called me three days later, and she was just ecstatic because she found out that the food she had been feeding Molly um, was a very highly recommended pet food by the vet, um, but the company that owns that pet food is Mars Bars. And they actually put something in the food to get the the cat addicted and that there is no nutritional value in the food. And the food was actually starving her. And so that she was really hungry all the time and she was giving her more food, but she wasn't actually um, getting any proper nutrition. And the cat food itself had done a lot of, um, not, it was repairable, but it had done some damage to her stomach. And so they switched her to raw food, and they had to do it slowly. But, you know, I actually met Molly, um, and this call was like three years ago. I just met her this June. (laughs) And, you know, she's a very happy, fat cat who likes to lay in her bed now. (laughs) And then um, another horse that called... Uh, was a top barrel racer out in Alberta, and um, he was getting possibly put down the next day. And this one was so astounding because um, he said to her, you know, barrel racers, they go out to the races and they often go for days and they take the horse trailer, and often the rider sleeps in the horse trailer too, there's a, a part for them to sleep. And um, the the horse kept saying to her, there's mold in here. There's a lot of mold. So she took the trailer apart, and they did find some mold. They found a lot of mold. And if you're looking for mold, if you pour hydrogen peroxide down and it bubbles, there's mold there. So... Um, he got a little bit better, but she called two weeks later and said, he's still not right. And he said, there's still mold. And by then, she was swearing, and he was swearing. But she was sleeping in the trailer, so she was getting affected by the mold as well. So then they poured hydrogen peroxide on his screens where he was inhaling air the whole time he was in the trailer for, you know, hours and hours. And there was layers and layers of mold on the screen. So he was breathing that in and out continuously. And then finally they took the trailer in, and they found out that that trailer was one of a batch of trailers that when they were made, something had happened and they were all full of mold. So the trailer company gave them a new trailer and he was going to be put down the next day and now he's one of the top racers you know he continually places in the top 10 and i also understand i believe if i if i have this correctly i believe that you've also helped with dog rescue locating dogs with your gifts Yes, um, I love to listen to Janet. She's such an inspiring woman, her and Anne. Just fantastic what they do in Nova Scotia. And I have um, had some success with lost dogs, 
But for me, it's very difficult and um, very stressful for me to do that. So um, I guess a lot of people, they think my job is really cool. It's a cool, cool Mm -hmm. job. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also that I have to hear about puppy mills. I have to hear about abuse. Um, and the lost dogs for me is a very stressful one. So I do it occasionally now, but I tend to uh, recommend an animal communicator, Marta Williams, who's in California. She specializes in it. And. When you said it was stressful for you, what I, is it? Be, is it because of your nature, or is it just that you kind of specialize more in a different area? Well, I'm very good with horses and um, yeah. y- you know um, people who compete. I'm also very good with well-being and helping on that aspect with animals. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing that animals want me to do is to get people to laugh. Um, they always That's my favorite part of my job is okay. um, I truly get the character of the animal because of their humor. And the lost dogs, I just am not that... I'm just not that good at finding things. Mm. It's not my specialty. And I I have had great success, but it, I just it's not my forte. Yeah, I understand what you're you're saying. I'm I have uh, I'm inspired at times, but rarely is it in terms of geographic or location. It just doesn't yeah. seem to be what jingles my bell. So I I tend to go to the areas <laughs> of my strengths. <laughs> yeah. Now what I wanted I wanted to ask you. So doing this work. Day in, day out. It's so. I, I know you, you say people think this is really cool. I keep getting it's very, very beautiful. How has it changed you as a human being? Well, my favorite part of my job is that the first thing that animals say to their humans is that we love you, love you, love you, love you, love you. Mm-hmm. And that animals have such a magnificent sense of humor, and they really do. And just being able to speak to them has really changed my perspective on us as humans. Um, The animals always tell me that as a species, we're a lot better than we think we are. And their attitudes to things are quite different. I've spoken to thousands and thousands of horses in my career. There's only been three out of those thousands that disliked humans because they were abused. The rest, they know that they were treated in a certain way, which was not pleasant, um, but they don't blame the human for it. Their attitude is, that was then and this is now, and it's it it's different whereas us as humans we tend to go oh my god that's so terrible that's awful and we feel so bad about it but the horses don't they're just so matter of fact about it and you it know sounds like just being real- able sorry go ahead 
Hold on. <laughs> That's a little delay with Skype that I was going to say. It sounds like they, they live very much in the moment, in the now, in the present. Yes, and I, th- I truly believe that. Like um, one of your questions was, you know, if the animals had a message to us, what mm-hmm. would it be? And the answer they gave me was to be present, to be in this moment. And, you know, to to realize that we are, as a species, pretty great. You know, we are pretty great. Which, it, which is counter to a lot of the media that you read. And it's interesting that you make this point. Yesterday I went to see a movie about Glenn Campbell. He's a U.S. Oh, he's yeah. famous a in the U.S. Yeah. yeah, and he has Alzheimer's. And when he he did about 150 concerts while he was still able, it was his goodbye tour or whatever. But what really hit me when they talk to the people who were in the audience is how loving and caring and compassionate and just joyful that they were able to see him, not in a glitzy way, not in a glamorous way, very much human and heart to heart. And as I sat there and I watched, watched it, I thought to myself, this is the real stuff. The stuff that you read on the news is just junk. This is where it's happening. It's happening heart-to-heart between people. And if we were going to have news, wouldn't it be wonderful if more of this stuff was mentioned? And it really speaks to what the animals are sharing through you, that we we really do have great characteristics as human beings. We really do, yes. We really do. And you're right. If we... You know, if you just flick through Netflix or the TV now, really everything's uh, very dark. Um, our, what we entertain ourselves with, it's quite a dark subject matter. And it's difficult even if you watch a comedy that there's underlying insult as as something to make people laugh. And a lot of people will say to me, I'm afraid of what the animal's going to say. And the animals always, always tell um, us how much they love us and, you know, how how wonderful we really are. So if we can let go of even the idea in our own head about how terrible we are as a species, it makes a big difference. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we all started every conversation with people as the animals did? I love you, I love you, I love you. Yeah, and wouldn't we have that to be tell. great? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> now, I wanted yeah. to ask you, in this field of animal communication, who are your role models or sources of inspiration? You know, I didn't really have any when I started um I had no idea what I was doing, and I was doing it very accurately, but I just I didn't trust what I was doing. And mm-hmm. I just read every book possible. And one of the books that helped me was written by Marta Williams, and then there was another book, I believe Amelia Kincaid wrote it, and then I read the actual Monty... The, the actual horse whisper that the movie was made about, I read his oh, book. Okay. Mm-hmm. And all of those people did 
um, helped me realize that what I was doing wasn't so weird. Um, But I've found in my career that even when I'm speaking with an animal on the phone, the less information I have, the better, because then I trust what I receive. So that's the same with um, in my field. I don't go looking for other people's methods or what they do because it tends to make me doubt what my methods or what I do. It clutters it, I guess. Yes. Because when I do a consult, I just ask for the uh, name, the age, and what type of animal they are, and then we just go from there. Makes sense. Now, if someone's listening and they're being inspired, they feel a strong connection with the animals, and they would really like to develop themselves to communicate more, how would you recommend, and I understand everybody is different, how would you recommend that they get started or are there some online resources that you're aware of? Sure. Um, Marta Williams has some great online courses that people can take. Um, I also do clinics where um, people, mostly horse people, um, have me come to their barns and, and, you know, help people develop their intuition on a daily basis, um, really just talking to your animals um, and pretending that they know what you're, <laughs> like believing that they can they can understand you makes a big difference. Okay. Um, I find people who do um, a great exercises every morning, pick a word from a book, just take a notebook and write a page about that word. It might be, I don't know what to write today, I don't want to do this today, or it could be a whole flow. You don't have to reread it, you can rip it up, but that gets you kind of more open to your intuition and creativity. Um, Singing really helps, a lot of singing. That really opens us up. Uh, researching anything to do with how to use your intuition is super helpful. Okay. And make sure that you just are kind to yourself while you're doing it. You know, years ago, I got picked up in Hong Kong at the ferry. There was two Labrador retrievers in the car with me, but I was hired to go speak with an elderly dog who was quite ill So the man pulled up to a gas station and said, I'll be back. (laughs) And he was gone for half an hour. And I got really bored. I didn't have my sketchbook. I didn't have a book. So I said to the lab beside me, what's your favorite food, sweetie? And she went, oh, I love pencils. And Mm -hmm. I went, pencils? Why would a dog eat pencils? I must not have received that clearly. So I said to her, could you send me a picture? And she sent me a metal dog bowl overflowing with HP pencils, and I just thought, oh, I'm really off today. We got to her house, and every piece of wooden furniture was chewed down. And I said to her owner, does she like pencils? (laughs) And he said, wow, she loves pencils. Should we feed her pencils? Because she eats them all the time. Oh, my gosh. uh, You know, that's a good example of... When you're doing it, you might get things that make sense to the animal, but as a human, they don't quite make sense to us. 
but they're accurate anyways. And so you just have to go what with you receive. Yeah. You have yeah. to go with it. You and you know what? It. It's so worthwhile, Mildred. It's so worthwhile. You know, it's so much fun, really. Now, on the bigger scale, so if we looked at the animal kingdom as a collective, are you able to tap into any beneficial message for us as a collective? I believe the message would really be that, you know, as a species, um, that we are better than we think we are and that they do appreciate sharing the planet with us and that it would be great if we could be kinder to ourselves as a species and not hate our fellow species members. Because if we're kinder to ourselves, then that creates a space to be kinder to others that inhabit the earth with us. Yeah. I guess it's I guess it's one of those beautiful, simple animal messages. Well, it's often like you see it on Facebook that people um would rescue the dog, they would do anything for the dog but yeah. um they would um they write messages which are a little disturbing that they would kill the human who did that to them. Oh yes, yes. And the animal's message is, is that they so appreciate us helping them, but we also have to be less judgmental and kinder to our fellow humans. Right. And one of the things that the horses, for me, it was difficult to get my head around, but that usually a person who abuses has been abused themselves. And so we must have some compassion for them. And I'm going to give our listeners a chance to think about that aspect of compassion. And we did talk a little bit to to Janet Chernin earlier about being nonjudgmental when the dog gets lost. In order to let that process a little bit, so I'm going to put on some beautiful music from Ecuador. We're going to take a little break, and then when we come back, I'm going to ask you what's coming up for you next year. How does that sound? Okay, wonderful. Thanks, Mildred. Okay, hold on a second.
You're listening to Healing Conversations with host Mildred Lynn McDonald on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at fireflywillows.com. Enjoy the show. Did you like the music, Sue? I did. That was lovely. I was singing along. And thanks so much, Mildred, for... Thank you so much for the opportunity to be on your show. It, it really is wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. And I have to share with you something little, little funny. As as we're doing the show, my little dog Pops was very, very eager to join us. So he is now sitting <laughs> at my feet, very, very happy. I think he knew it was you, so. <laughs> yes, he probably did. He probably wants to tell you something. <laughs> probably. I'll have to watch his. I'll have to watch his body movement and his eyes and, and listen for little messages later on this afternoon. But I wanted to ask you, with your work, you're in Florida right now. I know it's a little little vacation for you, a little mini vacation. What's coming up for you next year? That's a good question. I'm not really sure. I just had, um, I found a lot of mold in my house, and when I asked my intuition what to do, it said put everything in storage for a while. So I did mm-hmm. that, and then my intuition said to come to Florida which I'm doing now, and then I'm going on to Hong Kong and Thailand to do some work with the elephants for a bit of time. And then um, I guess, according to the horses, I'm also writing a book while I'm traveling. (laughs) Um, The animals often tell me, oh, this is what we want you to do, and sometimes they're quite bossy, so they make me do it. And um, (laughs) then I've had a lot of really great requests from clients around the states and across Canada to come do some workshops with them about communicating. So I'm looking forward to doing those. And I love Pops, those. Wants to, um, Pops wants to say that he sends you pictures because you're a visual person. So you might get flashes of pictures, and that's one way he communicates with you. And that's oh, good to keep in mind. If you're a really musical person, you'll probably like get sounds. And if you're visual, you usually get pictures. Well, so please thank thank pops for me. All right, I could do that for myself later on, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could. <laughs> but I I love I do feel as I'm talking to you as we're you know, um, winding down right now for this particular time together, I do feel that there is a whole other conversation that we're going to have. And I'd love to invite you back. Maybe it's going to be about the elephants, maybe about the workshop, maybe about your book. But I I do really feel that there's there's going to be more information to share with our listeners and probably from a global perspective with the animal kingdom. How does that feel for you? That feels wonderful. I really look forward to it. Yeah. I I, have another conversation with you. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. And the elephants being the keepers of ancient knowledge, I would be fascinated to hear what they have to say about everything. Mm, Those elephants. I got to work with one before. Excuse me. And um, this is why I'm on holiday, because of um, 
I talk so much on the phone every day <laughs> that my throat is having a holiday this week. But um, the elephants are just astounding to work with, <clears throat> such wise beings. And, you know, I, I really do believe that animals, just being with them, they make us better people. They really do. And so if someone wanted to contact you, I know they could go to their, your website, www.subrenet.com. What's, what's your preferred way if someone is saying, okay, I need to talk to her, what, what's your schedule like, and how should they contact you? Well, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. At the moment, um, I am still doing readings because I'm in Florida, and then I'm taking about a month off in between December and January, um, but the best way to contact me is through my website. It's www.suburnett.com, or you can contact me on Facebook, and it's Horse Communication Supernet. And all people have to do is contact me, um, send me their name, their email, and where they're contacting me from because of the time difference. And then we just set up a consult together. And we can do those by phone or via Skype or FaceTime. Thank you, Sue. Thank you for doing this work. It's wonderful. Oh, you're so welcome. It's wonderful. And it makes me feel so good to talk to you and know that you are out there talking to the animals and helping people, humans, talk to their animals. And we will connect again, for sure, for sure, for sure. So you have a wonderful day in, you're welcome, you're welcome. So you have a wonderful day in Florida, and until we meet again, take care of yourself. Okay, sending you lots of smiles and hugs. Thanks, Mildred. Bye, Pops. (laughs) Bye for now. Bye. Join Mildred Lynn McDonald for a fascinating tour of the mind-body-spirit connection. Enjoy nourishing conversations, thought-provoking guests, personal growth tools, compassionate guidance, practical tips, plus a generous sprinkling of East Coast humor and warmth. You'll also love our popular roundtable discussions featuring Deb Carousella, Heisey Lutmers, John Carousella, and Mildred Lynn. Airs the first Sunday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. For more information, please go to HealingConversationsWithMildredLynn.com. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for joining us. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist with Heisey Lutmers and Charlie Harrington, Tuesday evening at 8 p.m.